At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you were with us last week, you know that we began a new sermon series called In God We Trust, Three Thoughts on God and Money. We began that journey last week, and today we are in part two of this series as we talk about Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. But before we look at part two, and before we look at those verses, I want to remind us of what we saw last Sunday. For some of you, you were gone. It was spring break. Uh, For others of you, you were there. But a lot of things have happened in the last seven days. So let's remind us of what we learned last Sunday. What we learned was that God owns it all. Not that God owns 10% or not that God is just interested in a portion of things, but God is actually the rightful owner of all things. And we saw this in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 as King David gathers the resources for the construction of the temple. And then he prays this prayer of dedication and reminds all of Israel and himself and praises God that all things are his. And David even says, who am I, Lord, to give you anything? You are the God who already owns it all. And we were encouraged with this reality that God owns it all. Now, what we did last Sunday to to help us remember that was I had everyone take two cards out of your pocket or out of your purse. And so though we ended last week that way, I want us to begin this week doing the same thing. So if you've got a wallet with you, get in your wallet. If you've got a purse with you, get in your purse and pull out both your your, uh, some kind of form of identification, as well as a, a card that is connected to some kind of financial institution. So as far as ID, it might be um, a driver's license, it might be a student ID, it might be a library card, whatever it is, something in place that card that has identification associated with it, place it in your right hand. And then take that card that is connected to a financial institution, whether it's a debit card, credit card, whatever it might be, and place that in your left hand. Now, last Sunday in our time together, we talked about how in our right hand, this ID card, we talked about loading onto that card all of the sin that we have committed, all the ways that we have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Imagine that those are somehow quantified and represented on this ID card in your right hand. And then imagine that we were to take all of your resources and we were to liquidate them and we were to place them on the card connected to your financial institution. If this happened in your right hand with your ID, there would be a card representing your stuff or your soul, and in your left hand would be a card representing your stuff, your soul and your stuff. And we talked about in the message, which of these two is easier for us to give to the Lord? And we talked about how we freely, as followers of Jesus Christ, give to him our soul. Why? Because we're aware of our need and we're aware of his grace and his mercy that Jesus came to die for our sins. And so we we hand over our soul to the Lord and we trust it with him. But isn't it interesting that we sometimes want to hang on to our stuff, even though it is the same God, the same gracious and merciful God that has provided these resources for us. 
We ended last Sunday with this illustration. But today, I I want to begin in that same spot because I want us to think about this card that is in our left hand, the card that is representing our stuff. Now, when you think about this card that is representing your stuff, let me go ahead and add something to it. And I know some of you are like, really? Cool. I thought you were going to take something, Pastor. This is awesome. You're going to add to it? This is my account number. You can wire it over later. No, I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to do is this. I'm going to think about what else is on that card. Not just your, your finances, not just your property, not just your vehicles, but also your time. Every day that you have, every minute that you live, every second that you draw breath is a gift that has been given. Imagine it's represented on that card. Imagine all of your opportunities in life are represented on this card. Not just your, your stuff, but also your, your opportunities. And then imagine that we were somehow able to put on there also your skills, your talents, your spiritual gifts, your natural abilities. Imagine we were to place that on there as well. Now, that's a pretty heavy card, isn't it? There's a lot on there. Our time is on there. Our talent is on there. Our treasure is on there. But remember, he owns it all. So here's what I want you to receive and remember today. Everything in your left hand, everything that is represented there, is there because God has entrusted it to you. It's there on purpose. It has been extended to you from a sovereign, merciful, and gracious God. There is nothing you have that you have not received. This is the natural outflow of this idea that he owns it all. But if he owns it all and he has extended and entrusted to us his resources, what else is true? Well, that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see that he has made us managers of his stuff. He owns it all, but he has made us managers of his stuff. And we're going to see this as we look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn there. These verses are near the end of a very famous sermon that Jesus preached. I want to read these verses for us, and then after I read them, we'll back up and make a couple of observations today. Matthew 25, verse 14 says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. 
Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, friends, in these verses, I want us to see a couple of things today that will remind us of this parable and connect it to our lives. So what are those things? The first thing I want us to see is this. We are called to manage God's resources. To manage God's resources. Now, I said earlier that this illustration that Jesus gives, this parable, is really part of the conclusion to a sermon that he preached, a very famous sermon that he preached, known in biblical circles as the Olivet Discourse. Now, why is it called the Olivet Discourse? It's called that because Jesus gave this message, this discourse, he gave it in a particular place. You want to guess where he gave it? Olivet, at at the Mount of Olives. That's where he gave it. And so because he gives this message at the Mount of Olives, it's called the Olivet Discourse. Interestingly enough, the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody want to guess where that one was preached? On a mount, on a hillside. And so this morning we have the sermon on the stage. But here we go. We're going to dive in and we're going to see a little bit of the context of this sermon that Jesus gives so that we might understand this parable a little more in context. So what do we know about what's happening as Jesus gives this message? Well, we know that it is near the end of Jesus' earthly life. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 25 uh, in the very last days before Jesus would ultimately go to the cross. So he had already come. He had already lived out his earthly life. He'd already been born in Bethlehem. He'd already preached many sermons and done many miracles. And when Jesus gives this message, he is almost literally in the shadow of the cross. He knows that he's about to offer his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And so Jesus is is thinking of this dynamic, knowing that his earthly life is almost done and and knowing that the cross is, is before him and knowing that after the cross will be the resurrection and then his ascension into heaven. And so Jesus is talking about this new era that is getting ready to dawn, an era that is known as the inter advent period. Jesus was preparing them for the inter-Advent period. Now, what is the inter-Advent period? Well, when we say Advent, we mean appearing. And we think of it most commonly connected to Jesus' birth. When he first came to this earth in Bethlehem and then he lived out his earthly life. That was at the, the, the time about 2,000 years ago. And as Jesus is 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 preaching this message, he is at the end of this era, at the end of his earthly life. And so what is he talking about? 
Well, in the first parts of this message, he is talking about his second coming. He's talking about his second advent. He says, I'm getting ready to leave for a while, but eventually I'm coming back. And just as certainly as I came, so I most certainly will return. And so what Jesus is doing in this sermon is he is preparing people for the time period between his earthly life and his second coming. Now, friends, who lives in the era between Jesus' earthly life and his second coming? Us. We live in this era. We live in this era. So when Jesus is preaching this sermon and he's reminding them that he's coming back, it's important for us to pay attention because he's talking about how we might respond as people who live in this inter-Advent age. And so he concludes this message with a pair of illustrations to help drive home how we might respond in light of the fact that he is coming again. The first story that he tells is we see in chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, it's the parable of the ten virgins. We don't have time to read that today, but I would encourage you to read it later this week. And the second parable that he tells is the parable of the talents, the one I just read earlier from verses 14 through 30. And once again, we're talking about for those of us living in this era before Jesus' second coming, how do we respond? What do we do? How would Jesus prescribe us to respond in light of the fact that he's coming back? He tells these two stories so that we would know. The first story, the parable of the ten virgins, he tells so that we would know that we need to prepare for his coming by believing in his name now, by trusting in Jesus for our forgiveness and for our hope and for our eternity now while we have a chance before he returns. But the second parable that he tells, the parable of the talents, is to challenge us to be managers of his resources, to use the resources that he has entrusted to us for his purpose and to his honor before he returns. So what does it mean to say that we are his managers? And how is that idea found inside of this parable? Remember, a parable is a a made-up story that Jesus told. It was a a made-up story with, with a point. And so let's look at this story that Jesus tells to find the point that he wants us to get. Well, he begins the the parable by reminding us that he has entrusted his resources to us. We see this in verse 14 as he begins the parable. He says, "For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property." The servants are whose? They're the masters. And who does the master represent in this story that Jesus tells? Jesus himself. So, friends, not only do we think about our time and our talent and our treasure as the Lord's, but who are we? We, friends, are his. We were created on purpose and for a purpose. We are his. And the resources that we have access to are resources that he has not given to us, but they're his resources, so he has merely entrusted them to us. They are on loan from God for us to manage and use as he would want them managed and used. 
They were entrusted to us because it's ultimately his property. Now, what are those things for us? For us, the things that God has entrusted to us certainly include our time, our opportunities. You know, you woke up today. I know that because you're here. That's a gift. It's a gift that God has given to you. It's a gift we weren't promised. But God has given us today. And if you wake up tomorrow, God has given you tomorrow. And what does time represent? It represents opportunity. Opportunity to make decisions, to do things. And so God has given us time. He has given us opportunities. God has also given to us talent. He's given to us skills, spiritual gifts, natural abilities. We didn't create them ourselves. They are something that is given to us by God. If there are things that you are good at, it's because God has given you an aptitude for different things. God has given to us time. He's given us opportunities. He's given to us skills. He's also given to us treasure. He's entrusted to us stuff. That includes cash. It also includes investments. It also includes houses and cars and all the things that we have access to. God has entrusted to us all of those things. Now, when we think of all these things that God has entrusted to us, is it a lot? Well, yes, it feels like a lot to us, but Jesus underscores this point because he tells them that what he has given to them is talents. Now, when we see this word, it means very little to us. But Jesus very intentionally uses this word because it would elicit an emotional response from his original audience. What was a talent? Well, in the first century, a talent was equivalent to about 80 pounds of silver. Well, that doesn't mean much to us. What is 80 pounds of silver worth? Well, in their era, 80 pounds of silver, one talent, was equal roughly to 20 years' wages. So Jesus says that there are these three people, and one is given five times 20. One is given 100 years' wages. And one is given 40 years' wages, a a lifetime. And, And one is given 20 years' Of wages. If we were to extrapolate that just for some simple math, if we think of $50,000 a year as an annual wage, um, for some that, that sounds like a lot, for others it sounds like not so much, but it's easy for me to multiply. $50,000 a year times 20 years is a million dollars. So even the one that only gets the one talent is given a million. The one that's given two talents, two million. The one that's given five talents, five million. Jesus uses these big numbers on purpose to get their attention. He has entrusted them with a lot. Jesus wanted his disciples to know, Jesus wants you and I to know that he has entrusted us with a lot of time, with a lot of talent, and with a lot of treasure. Well, the next thing we notice is that he has not given the same to all. He's given different amounts to different people. He gives to some more time, doesn't he? I mean, in the parable, one's given five, one's given two, one's given one. But when we think of applying this to our lives today, we think of time, some are given only their teens as years to live. Some are given life into their 20s, others into their 40s others into their 70s, or in the instance of Kimberly's grandmother, 
who just passed away over Christmas last year, well past 100. God has given differing amounts of time to different people. And even within our time, God has given different amounts of free time to different people. God has not given the same to all. He gives to some a little bit of time, some more time. God has given different talent and skills to different people. We look around and and our eyes are are drawn to those who have exceptional talent, exceptional skills. And we think, well, that that person just seems to be better at this thing than than, than someone else. God does not give equal. God God gives equal spirit, but the, the kind of talents that different people have are given different investments from God according to God's design and plan. And God gives different amounts of treasure doesn't he? To this, everyone says, amen. We're very well aware of this, right? Even if you're someone who is very wealthy in this room, I promise you there's somebody outside of this room that's got more than you do. I just, uh, I I love sports. I read an article about Floyd Mayweather. His nickname is Money, Floyd Money Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather has houses in like three different U.S. cities, and in each of those towns, he's got the same set of high-dollar vehicles in the same colors. Because, you know, who wants to deal with the rental counter, right? You know, we fly into the place and you can get in your same kind of car and you can drive it. Friends, that's a wealth that I will never have to deal with. God gives and entrusts different levels of resources to different people. But no matter what he's entrusted to you, notice what we see in the story. His expectation is that whatever he has given is used for his service, The master in the parable had a desire for all of them, regardless of how much they had, to take what they had and to invest it and to deploy it and to use it as the master would want it invested, deployed, and used. Friends, whether we have a little or whether we have a lot, whether we have a little bit of time or a lot of time, whether we have a little bit of skill or a lot of skill, whether we have a little bit of financial resources or a lot of financial resources. God has an expectation that we would use those things that he has entrusted to us for his purpose. And this is where the parable really drives home its point. We will be held accountable to how we have utilized those resources by him. See the arc of the story that Jesus tells There is a master who takes a long absence. Friends, we we live right now in an era where Jesus has taken a long absence. I mean that not that he is spiritually distant from us. He has promised to be with us to the end of the age. And not that we are living our lives outside of his sight or oversight. But what what I'm saying is that we are living right now in an era where we don't see Jesus face to face. But there will be a day when we see him face to face because this master, though he takes a long absence, has a certain return. In the story, the master comes back to the land and he calls his servants to an account for how they have managed his resources. All too often, friends, we lose sight of this fact and we think, well, I've got all of this stuff. It doesn't matter what I do with it. I'll do with it whatever I want to do with it because we forget that it's not ours and one day we will give an account to the one who truly owns it. And as that account happens, it will lead to either reward or judgment. To the one 
who invests well, more is given, and a commendation is shared to the one that squanders even what they have is taken away. This reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 where it says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul says a similar thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He, he's not saying, what Paul is not saying is that our eternal salvation is dependent on our performance. Our salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. But what he is saying is that one day we will give an account for our lives. And if we have invested well the opportunities and the skills and the resources that God has entrusted to us, that we will be rewarded when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom on the earth with additional responsibility. There's a day when we will have to give an account for our lives. And don't you want to hear on that day what Jesus says in the story is the reaction of the master to the faithful servant. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Friends, I long to hear this response. And so what are some observations that we might draw from this as we seek to connect it to our lives? Well, one of those observations has to deal with looking back. You know, when we talk about this topic and we say that, that we are going to be held accountable for how we have managed the, the time and the talent and the treasure that God has entrusted to us, there can be a sense of regret as we think of decisions that we have made in the past. As we look back, if we have that sense of regret, know that we can confess to God that we have mismanaged the opportunities and the resources that he has entrusted to us, that we have not been a good steward to use the gifts that he has given us to employ in his work and on his mission. We can confess those things to him. We can repent of our independent attitude. And as we do so, know that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we look back, if we have a sense of regret, drop to your knees and confess that and, and, and ask the Lord to forgive you for those decisions. And then as you have now a clean slate before the Lord, I want you to think about today. Not looking back, but look at today. And when you look at today, don't play the comparison game. Don't play the comparison game. We love to play the comparison game. When it comes to life, why is that person's life longer or shorter or better than mine? When we think of the, the skills game, what, if, if I had that person's talent, then, and we think of the resource game, if I was really wealthy, then I would. When we think of today, let's not play the comparison game. There's a sovereign God who has entrusted, who has placed in our hand what he wants us to have. How faithfully are we living out his call with what he has put in our hand? Look back and confess today, don't play the comparison game, but as you look forward, think about how to invest his resources. What will you do now with the time that God has left for you on this planet? serving him. We'll talk more specifically about that question next week, but begin to think about that process. See, we are called to manage God's resources. 
But as we think about a second thing that we need to see and remember from these verses is that we are not to bury his blessing. Don't bury his blessing. Uh, this language and picture comes right out of the story that Jesus tells. The servant with the one talent went and hid that talent in the ground. He just buried it. He, he was so afraid, as Wearsby says, that he might fail, that he never tried to succeed. Friends, when we think of God owning it all and we think of us having to give an account for it, sometimes we can be paralyzed in that thought. And we think, wow, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go because I don't want to, to blow it. I don't want to make the wrong decision. Well, friends, burying God's blessing is, is not the way that he wants us to respond if it's a sin to waste one talent, by implication, it's an even greater sin to waste two or five. So let's remember the point of this parable. Jesus tells this parable to inspire us to deploy the resources he has entrusted to us for his purposes while we wait for his return. That's why Jesus tells this story. Knowing that he's coming back, how should we live our lives today? Well, we should live our lives investing his resources for his purpose. And what are his purposes? Well, one of his purposes is that we would live for his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. The resources that God has entrusted to us, we should thank him for, give him glory for. As we, as we work and the resources that come in and on the other side of that work in terms of wages and income, we thank God for giving us those opportunities. We are, are living and utilizing these resources for his glory, remembering that it all comes from him. But then also we mobilize these resources and we direct them to be a part of his work, his mission, this great commission that Jesus were to, was to give his disciples just a few days later, when he says that they are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. God has entrusted to us time, talent, and treasure that he wants us to mobilize into opportunities for us to give him praise and glory and to utilize them for his purpose and on his mission. Again, we'll talk next Sunday a little bit more about what that looks like, but this is the category. Now, we have temptations to bury. We have these temptations to bury his resources. And the reason why we do that is because sometimes we think our life doesn't matter. We think our lives don't matter. You know, we think if, if I was Billy Graham and I had those kinds of opportunities, then it would matter what I did with my life. But I'm not Billy Graham, so it must not matter what I do with my life. But Jesus doesn't just tell the story about five talent people. Five, two, or one, it doesn't matter. The expectation is the same. So wherever you see yourself on that spectrum, dear friends, your life matters. How you utilize the resources God has entrusted to you matters. But the second temptation we have to bury is because we think that Christianity is just about avoiding error. 
Sometimes we are tempted to think that the Christian life is just about what we are not to do. We are not to drink to excess. We, we, we are not to, to engage in illicit sexual behavior, whatever it might be. We think the, the Christian life is about saying no to certain things. But in this account, what we see is that the Christian life is not just about saying no to certain things, but it's also about saying yes. It's also about utilizing the resources that God has entrusted to us for his purpose and on his mission. Christianity is about serving Christ with all that he has entrusted to us. And so, a couple of applications for us to consider. The first application for us to consider is this. Take inventory of what has been entrusted to you. Seriously, take inventory of it. This week, sit down. What's the the time that God has given me? What are the, the, the talents and the skills that God has given to me? And what are the the resources that God has entrusted to me? And then having taken that inventory, seriously consider how you might invest what you have in his mission. Next week, we'll talk more specifically about what that looks like, but begin to wrestle with these thoughts over the next seven days. And we'll be right back in God's word next Sunday to see what it looks like. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for just this opportunity to gather today and to lift up your name. Thank you for this parable that Jesus tells at the end of this amazing sermon um, to encourage us to invest what you have entrusted to us for your purpose. Lord, may, may we be a people who do just that, Lord, thank you for the opportunities that you have given us collectively and individually and the resources that you have given to us. Lord, I can't wait to see all of us one day standing before you that we might hear from you on that day. Well done, good and faithful servant. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.